0: Welcome to Living With Purpose, the interview series where Francis Lynch speaks to various people about what purpose means to them, and explores what gives them the energy to do what they do. Most people have got a story to tell, and these interviews show that extraordinary stories come from ordinary and not-so-ordinary people. So listen on as we explore purpose and meaning, and hopefully learn a little about some great people. I've known Lucy Morris for many years, having worked alongside her in a couple of organisations. In this conversation, she talks of the changes she's made over the years and how she's now living out her purpose in ways that she didn't even see as possible when she was a young woman. Lucy sees her work as being that of a storyteller. She says that she's interested in telling stories of social justice, and particularly those of women. At Baptist Care, she says, I'm telling stories into the heart of the system and to the outer edges of the system. I'm trying to humanise and make visible the preciousness and uniqueness of the work that is done. Lucy's the CEO at Baptist Care, which is an organisation that provides aged, disability, and mental health services across WA. She has worked in the community services sector for over 25 years in both England and Australia. She has a Theology degree and Master of Philosophy degree from Manchester University and a PhD in Leadership, Ethics, Values and Spirituality in NGOs from Curtin University. She's also an Adjunct Professor at Notre Dame University. Lucy has also recently been ordained as a priest of the Anglican Church and ministers in her community in southwestern Australia. Please join me in a conversation with Lucy Morris. Thank you, Lucy, for being agree for agreeing to be interviewed as part of the Living with Purpose interviews. Um, so, if you were to introduce yourself to somebody, how would you? What would you say about yourself?
1: Oh goodness! Um, it depends on the context. But generally I just say I'm Lucy Morris um, and I work in the community sector and I'm a priest. Yeah.
0: And what, what do people follow up with? Do they ask anything after that? Or <laughs>
1: um, yes, they do. Sometimes the priest, um, the declaration that I'm an Anglican priest, will shut the conversation down. Yeah. Um, people get quite nervous and anxious about that particular aspect when I talk about the community sector, that is one that provides a greater opening for people to talk and engage. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So you you really have these two parts of your life. I mean, mm. there's, there's probably many more than two, yep. but two significant parts of, of your life. Um, what's the the community part, the community services part? You I know you're at Baptist Care, so what's that journey been like for
1: It's an absolute passion for me. Uh, I've been working in the sector now 25 years, in this country particularly and in Perth, and I am totally focused and passionate about what community feels like for people, how people get to be in the world in the time that they have, what services are available to them, what relationships can be enlivened. Uh, and on a much bigger scale, I suppose, at a global level, what sort of world are we making and how are we contributing to it? And I think the way we conceptualise community in a postmodern world is very disconnected and alienating and very individualistic, and I get scared about that. And so my focus around community is absolutely about relationships and the uniqueness of human beings and how people live and work and love and flourish and how we create a world that we want our children and grandchildren to live in.
0: Yeah.
1: It's got to be enlivening, I think. Uh, too many people... Have lives that can go nowhere and never never see opportunity and never hear how precious they are so community community services for me comes right back down to practical stuff mm-hmm. and while my skill base is not necessarily in the actual doing mm-hmm. uh, the conversations I have and I suppose I see my work as storytelling. Yes. When I look at it through that particular lens, then I'm very busy telling stories, talking, conversations, thinking, reading, writing, um, reflecting, praying.
0: Um, so who do you tell the stories to when you're in that role of CEO?
1: Immediately and initially, it's making sure that people around the organisation know each other's stories. Okay. So Baptist Care employs over 1,700 people. We cover vast swathes of WA and people can be working in remote and rural and regional locations. Have have no concept. If they're totally immersed in delivering services to people who live with disabilities, they might not ever understand what it is that we're doing in aged care
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: and vice versa. So... I'm telling stories to people as I travel around our system. I'm telling stories into the heart of the system and to the outer edges of the system. I'm trying to humanise and and make visible the preciousness and the uniqueness of the work that is done. And then I look at who I'm talking to externally. So who am I needing to talk to about what Baptist care does, the contribution it's making in the world how we're changing community, what our dreams are and our aspirations are, what mistakes we've made, what we're learning, how we're being human in what can be a very inhuman, dehumanising world um, where people and our language is um, commodifying people, turning us into products, deconstructing us, uh, taking any sense of humanity away and any sense of... Anything bigger than just what I do.
0: It strikes me that as you describe that, uh, you know, in your role here at Baptist mm. Care, that there may be similarities in terms of that priest role that mm. you have. So is that about telling stories as well? It is.
1: And, and certainly my journey towards um, stepping into the role of being a priest was informed by my work in the community sector and my sense of how precious people are in the sight of god and that particular story is not told and that language is disappearing we have a world where you can be religious and have a faith but it tends to be in private and mm. informal the formal public spaces are being closed off to us yeah. and so as i as i think about my relationship with God, God in me and me in God. Um, How do I be in the world and tell the story of God in you and everybody else? Mm. Um, So, yes, I I am a storyteller. When I stand up in church on a Sunday and do a reflection, I'm telling a story as I stand at the altar doing the Eucharist. I'm telling the the great, awesome story of of how God is present in our world. And that, I think, is the biggest, most important story that there is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am passionate about working in a faith-based organisation. I don't think now that I'd probably survive in an organisation that didn't have a sense of the spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly my passion... In the community sector, I'm particularly interested in issues around social justice, so I tell stories in that space, and particularly for women. Yeah. So um, I find more and more, as I I be a priest, it's not about doing, but as I be, that's Mm -hmm. who I am, in the very fabric of my being, then that informs everything else that I do and the way I try and live in the world.
0: So... are you able to perhaps reflect on on who has been influential for you through your life in terms of where you end up now? <clears throat> you know, and it could be when you were much younger or it could even be in the last few years. But mm-hmm. you know, who, who are the influential people that have really guided you or, or influenced you?
1: I think um, mm-hmm. probably three or four people. My father, initially, who was a very faithful man, who grew up in a very poor environment as a Salvation Army child of two Salvation Army officers in England in in London, and going through the war as a as an older teenager, uh, the war transformed him and took him into the Church of England. And he was a faithful child of God in that space right until he died five, six years ago now. And I went to church schools, boarding schools, which at an impressionable age, Mm -hmm. I went when I was nine and was at school until I was 18 and then university. I was a church-going child and teenager and young adult. Since then, um, I I think my next big step for me was when I stepped into Anglicare when we emigrated to Australia yeah. 25 years ago and I met people for the first time who were open and advocating um, around social justice issues. And I was rocked, absolutely rocked, all my middle-class <laughs> aspirational... Staff uh, came into question for the first time. So my adulthood, my young adulthood, was shifted. Yeah. And then when I got a job at Mercy Care, for the first time I stepped into an organisation led by women, designed mm-hmm. by women, mm-hmm. seen through the eyes of women. And for the first time, very first time, I saw female leadership in all its glory. And went. Goodness me! This is very different.
0: I mean, I, I mean, you and I were both there, and, and yeah. certainly women like Sheila saw oh, that.
1: and <laughs> Sister Anne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were inspirational and transformational, mm-hmm. and uh, and that too, I think, was completely unexpected and. Um, shifted me again quite stepwise Mm -hmm. around the spiritual journey and beginning to integrate different aspects of my life. And probably then the last little bit, as I think about people of influence, I went and did my PhD 2004-2006 and discovered... Um, more acutely, I did it around leadership and spirituality and values and ethics in not-for-profits, and discovered spiritual um, mysticism and spirituality in that space. And and it was in that research that the thinking about working in community and working in not-for-profits and advocacy and social justice tied up with female leadership as opposed to general leadership which then tied up into what faith does and mysticism and spirituality Um, and I think that tipped me finally into starting to think about I need to look at myself again not as a human being objectively looking at the different parts of my life and my world and then what am I doing about it but starting back and saying if I'm if I'm a Christian and if I'm um, if I'm being in that space as a Christian, then my whole world needs to be rethought again, and I can't come at it thinking I've got a jigsaw to put together as an objective body of work. I actually have to sit here and say, I'm living in God's creation how does this make sense and all the pieces then got jumbled up and reshuffled and when we moved to Dunsborough back in 2010 my local parish priest in the Anglican Church was a young woman Anglican woman who had come from South Africa two young boys she and her husband had escaped apartheid Um, and uh, the final bit of the jigsaw was you can actually be a Christian and be a priest and not become something that you are not. That like yes. God welcomes you and accepts you and understands you as the person that you are and the journey into God, into closer relationship with God um, doesn't require you to turn yourself inside out and do something else in order for you to be acceptable.
0: I mean, mean, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, my history from being brought up in the Catholic tradition and yours in the Anglican tradition, I mean, the the concept of priest has not necessarily changed very much in the Catholic tradition, but it has Mm -hmm. in the Anglican tradition. And so is that part of what's enabled you? To, to make
1: Absolutely, because yeah. I my my, de- my first degree at Manchester when I was 18 was a theology degree yeah, yeah, I remember, and saying. I did a Master of Philosophy in the theology faculty and at that point in time there was no way I could ever be a priest yeah. because the job did not exist. And it was, what, 1991, 92, here in WA where Archbishop Carnley yeah. finally ordained women for the first time in the Anglican Church. In Australia, and uh, when I talk to Catholic girlfriends, their grief is palpable yeah. about not having this job opportunity. And so, part of me being a woman and saying, What is it? Um, what story am I telling for God? Part of it is telling the story that women and woman is absolutely. Um, <coughs> this is a this is a calling and a vocation that c- should not be denied i i as i stepped into this journey was accepted by the church as an ordinand. Um, my deepest questioning kept coming back to this particular aspect what would it be like not to be able to step into this as part of my faith journey if this is who i am called to be
0: yeah, yeah. I'm interested, I mean, you've been mentioning very... I mean, this, these interviews really are about living with purpose and yeah. I mean, you're, you're sort of touching on those issues. But if I was to ask the direct question and say, do you have a clarity of what your purpose is now, can you describe that?
1: I do have clarity. the 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 difficulty, the extraordinary, unexpected... Difficulty I have is how I find the words to describe what it is. So it's, it may sound a little jumbled. I am I'm passionate about social justice and working in that space for God's children. I find that that passion is mostly around women and children uh, and how they, as 50% of the world's population, occupy the poorest margins. And so my own work in Baptist care, where our... Profile of staff is probably about 80, 88% of our workforce is female. Yeah. Um, probably 50 to 60% of our workforce is not Australian-born. So I'm interested in asylum seekers and refugees and the issues that face them. Yeah. I find that the issue of discrimination and the use of privilege and the commodification of the human being around money and lack of money and how people become invisible when they have no money poor education uh, lack of opportunity that counts them out of the world and predominantly that goes to women but this is against God's creation I'm passionate about and I suppose the last bit of the jigsaw that has emerged for me has been around um, act, being active, absolutely active in this space and that's taken me into starting to learn about peacemaking mm-hmm. and non-violent activism. So mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of study about Martin Luther King Dietrich Bonhoeffer, yeah. um, Thomas Merton, Miroslav Wolf, Gandhi, like that. I'm, I'm. You're more likely to find me writing, talking, waving a placard, mm-hmm. and I suspect my next chapter. Or sitting down, or sitting down <laughs> yes.
0: Tell me about
1: that. <laughs> um, oh, golly, Francis! I was so scared. But it felt so right.
0: Um,
1: I had been tracking and we had been tracking in Baptist Care stuff around asylum seekers and what was going on and I'm acutely alert because at the time I was chairperson of Baptist Care Australia, our national peak body, and some of our members provide services to asylum seekers. And funding was getting tight, and where those members were operating, they felt completely silenced because the government, at that time and continues, I think, overtly and covertly to punish uh, organisations that speak out against social policies. Yeah. And so, as chairperson, I was speaking out, and I became aware of a of an organisation, Christian organisation called Love Makes Away, which was growing out of the Uniting Church Baptist evangelical movement and uh, I got to talk to um, Jared McKenna who, and his wife Teresa who were doing a lot of work in this space and I started becoming engaged in it and in the end um, they do sit-ins in in politicians offices in a particularly absolutely completely non-violent way. It's awesome and their learning from Martin Luther King and Gandhi yeah. has been remarkable And I asked if I could join them in any of their protests and the opportunity came up uh, in November, a year and a bit ago, um, the Monday before I went into retreat to become a priest ordained. So on the Monday I took part in a protest and sat in Michaelia Cash's office um, as part of the Love Makes Away movement. And on the Wednesday, I was going into silent retreat. And on the Saturday, I was ordained as a priest. And we turned up. Um, the protest was to ask Michaela Cash, as the Assistant Minister for Refugees and Immigration, um, to remove the women out of, and children yeah. out of the offshore processing systems and out of any detention centres because it is against the UN conventions that we have signed. Um, we got arrested and released and given move-on notices. The following week, I would have participated in the next one, but unfortunately I had commitments and didn't make it. That group of protesters actually got arrested but actually taken down to the Perth Watch House and strip-searched. Mm. It was appalling mm. and in breach of um, their... It
0: was intimate.
1: Yes, deliberately. Deliberately, So we were very lucky. But for me, to deliberately set out to be avert in my protest and participate um, took a lot of prayer and a lot of um, resolution. Mm-hmm. And from a family perspective, lots of conversations about what that might mean because in practice could have lost my current job if I ended up with a criminal record because I have to be an approved person by the federal government to look after aged care, could have put my organisation at risk Um, and I had to tell my bishop that he might end up ordaining somebody with potentially a police record and I had to take the Anglican Church into account. He was remarkable. He just looked at me and said, I trust you um i told my board told my chair and they swallowed and supported me but um it stripped away the bits that were non essential and the beauty of the timing was that i ended up doing this on the monday and all the excitement and the clutter and the social media was absolutely meaningless because I stepped into silent yeah. retreat 36 hours later. And so it really meant that I was sitting there making sure that I was doing it for for the children and the women yeah. and around justice and around God's children as opposed to any other reasons that you could get seduced into and thinking about. So I'm really clear. My purpose is, um, if I use religious language, I, I, I think my vocation as a priest is as a prophet and as a radical disciple of Christ.
0: If, if you were to go back, if you were to place yourself Uh, back 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, do you think your purpose has changed from where you were to where you are?
1: I sometimes regret that the lessons I've learned in the last 15, 20 years, I actually didn't learn as I moved from teenager into adulthood. And...
0: So what does that mean?
1: I think that means that I might have gone and done more training and learning around peacemaking um, and moved into a more uh, earlier, into more of an advocacy, overt advocacy role. On the other hand, I think here am I at 56. I bring now some weight of years um, I bring a PhD that gives me letters after my name that people for whom that's important means they pay attention. Mm-hmm. My children are grown up, so I'm not putting them at risk yeah. in terms of uh, implications around employment. It's just me and my husband, and we can be foolish in God's name. Yeah. Um, and at that level, we're not... Um, so I, uh, the other part of me says, well, there is a season. And this is the season that I'm stepping into and I'm just making the most of it. Yeah. And I will, um, if I could run helter-skelter into it more quickly, I would do. <laughs> uh, but um, I'm praying deeply, spend a lot of time with God and um, take him going where God leads.
0: So on the other hand, if you were to look forward 10 or 20 years... Um Do you think that the core purpose that you sort of see yourself now as being able to articulate, do you think that that will stay relatively on the same path? Yes.
1: I think uh, my husband looks at me wryly on occasion and says, um, I will be probably getting you out of the Perth watch house in 20 years' time (laughs) or taking the keys along so that the police can untie your... You know, and there is there is truth somewhere in that humour which says I will, I will do this for as long as I can and while I've got breath in my body and I will do this as a Christian. I will do this um, to say that God's world cannot be treated like this and I will do this in a way um, as best as I can in a way that says this is about love. Yeah. This is not about hatred. This is not about discrimination or privilege. This is about love and we need to do it differently and it's possible there is a different story to tell.
0: So it sounds, the way that you describe that, it sounds as though you are feeling more free to express those things now.
1: Yes. I think it's a, it, it certainly is a feeling and an emotion and a spiritual drive, and intellectually freer. And that might be the accumulated 56 years of learning and ongoing education and conversations and career positions I've held, which have continued to um, add to the capacity that I have to offer. The other side of it, though, Frances, is at the end of the day, when I die, I will be naked. I will not have all of this stuff. Yeah. I will be a plain human being. And so part of my understanding of this journey is, is is absolutely I've got to be clear that this is God's work not Lucy's work so what I bring into it I offer mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it will you, you know it will get stripped away there yeah. will be nothing left and just as much as I'm, I'm building up and adding to it will get yeah. stripped That's, away layer by layer and there's nothing to take, me to nothing to me. take with me so yeah. who I am in God, is at the start and at the finish and must be in the middle. Yeah.
0: So where, where do you find the energy to keep doing what you're doing now in your life?
1: I've spent the last few years beginning to strip away some stuff. So thinking about what's not important or what is distracting. So being clear about What I'm doing, does it contribute to how I'm being and going, where I'm going? So that's part of it. Um, Being clear about my priorities in my love and marriage and relationship with David and our children and grandchild, my commitment to my workplace, what they expect from me and the best that I can be for them Mm. in the role that they, they ask me to do. And I'm a priest in a local parish part time. Uh, and I spend time each day. And it sounds dramatic, but it's not. But I spend each time, spend time each day, praying mm. quietly. Yep. Um, and I, as I get older. My the aspects of me as an introvert become more pronounced yeah. so I need the quiet times and I need um, and the opportunities give, some... give me and yeah. feed me feed yeah. me spiritually as yeah. well as feed me relationally yeah. um, and at the end of the day I still fall over with the same regularity I still weep and get confused and hurt and make mistakes mm. um, and try and learn
0: I mean, and 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 um, yeah it's interesting just that mention of introverts because I think you know introvert has a sort of negative connotation sometimes and and um, you know, certainly, being a card-carrying one myself, <laughs> yes. it really. It is. It is that sense, in its truest sense, really, of being able to, um, to feel okay on being on your own, and and knowing mm. that that actually is important to be able to regenerate and to ref- mm. replenish mm. the energy storms.
1: Yes, I. I have a public profile in the job that I do. So sitting on the beach at weekends or going into the church and praying Mm, is mm. what feeds me for the week ahead. Mm. Um, And I I think it's a rare gift because it isn't a struggle to do that. Mm. Um, I think my, my weakness, my struggle is that I enjoy reading, I enjoy learning, I enjoy being fed intellectually. <clears throat> so the hardest part is not getting stuck there or stopping there, uh, okay. but yep. moving into the quietness and the solitude and just putting those things down yep. and just being me. Yeah.
0: yeah. But it sounds as though you really have made choices to... Mm give that
1: time and yes space. yes yeah. and I I don't know how I would cope now without that
0: yeah.
1: and I don't think it's just a maturing age thing I, I um, as a as a priest uh, the being becomes more and more important rather than the doing
0: I mean a lot of day, you know in, in current society or community, a lot of people now talk about mindfulness or mm-hmm. meditation as, as aspects of, of um, or similar sort of themes to what you're sort of speaking
1: yeah, about. Yeah, and I, I, I'm glad. I watch with, I'm a little anxious and I'm hesitant about this because I think it's still easy in that space to elevate the individual and make it personal yeah. and seek into oneself for the answers. Uh, yeah. And it then still contributes to alienation and disconnection and a lack of engagement because it's still about me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think um, a spiritual life with a faith in God or in the transcendent, yeah. um, however one thinks about the other, um, keeps one in perspective and it's not about what then about what I'm doing but it's about um, what God is doing mm. and how I fit into the larger scheme of things rather than the scheme fitting around me yeah.
0: Can I, I'm interested in, in asking around You know, whether it's in your workplace or whether it's in your community or parish or, or wherever but um, I, I wonder whether you come across people who are perhaps unclear themselves about where they're going and what they're doing yeah. and um, sort of seeking some support or, um, yeah, support in terms of, you know, well, what's my purpose? Where am I going? What am I, you know, where's my my journey? And, and yeah. I'm just interested in how you would sort of respond to people, you know, if you come across that sort of seeking.
1: Yeah, it, it, it happens and I'm... I'm getting better at recognising the quiet signals rather than the overt ones. And I don't always do it well. And what do I mean by that? It's when I come in with enthusiasm and excitement to talk about God Mm. and I can see people backing off because I've been too enthusiastic about it and, and, and they're not wanting anything as overt or clear as that but I'm very happy to sit and talk about um, the things that are bothering them, give them different perspectives and find a way of talking about how they fit into a creation that they are a part of and have a part to play Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being alone in the universe and when I'm dead I'm dust to dust ashes to ashes yeah.
0: and I think just picking up on a comment you made before around um, you know, that sense of perhaps finding meaning within but not um, being connected and, and mm. becoming isolated and, and those sorts of things I mean I think uh, they are um, experiences that some people have that mm. um, trip them up a little bit you know and so
1: uh, I think our our culture inclines us towards becoming very narcissistic and very self centered, and the best that we can achieve is to be selfish about our family. you know we might make might do stuff for our family, but to go beyond that mm. um our culture doesn't overtly and often indirectly does not encourage. A sense of society and something yeah. a bigger purpose than what I can achieve in the world yeah. um, and i I get so sad when I go to funerals and you hear this catalogue of achievements, but people don't know the person and don't have a sense of what their desires were and how they. Felt about other people. It's just a list of
0: well, so achievements, sort of yeah. On, on, or value on relationships. Ships, or, yes, or, and, you, you
1: and, know, and you and you and 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 they play pop songs and and you walk out thinking each life is worth more than this. How, yeah. how? Why can we not do this better? How can we do it differently? Yeah. And I, I mean, I work in the aged care industry. Yes. We provide services to over a thousand people a year in our aged care facilities and then additional hundreds in our home based care, community care. We have people dying. Regularly. Regularly. And our society and our culture does not have conversations about death. We do not talk about quality of life until people are dead. We do not enable people to come at mortality and sense of God and the other. We shuffle it out of sight and we do it in hushed whispers and we get embarrassed and we find it hard. It is so sad.
0: Yeah. And, and even, I mean, making no... I mean, it, it is what it is, but, you know, even the way that Australian society, we we don't see our neighbours die because they go somewhere else yes you know they go to one of your facilities or they go to hospital, hospital.
1: Or, and it's know. neat and tidy and clinical yeah. and and you know when we, in england you would move into houses where people had died and they would have been laid out on the kitchen table yeah. and people would have come in and seen them and had a wake
0: absolutely uh,
1: yeah. but now it's all done in hushed whispers and yeah. um I think it's going to change. The baby boomers have disrupted every single thing As that they've they ever mean. had anything to do with. <laughs> so I think they will disrupt they are disrupting thank goodness but they will continue to disrupt aging and the concept yeah. of aging and yeah. death. So I think we were we are in for a change but yeah. um how that conversation is going to emerge and what that's going to look like is going to be really interesting over the next 20 or 30 years.
0: Yes, I mean, I'm I'm not sure where it's going to go, but yes, I'm interested to see where it goes. Um, You mentioned before that you can get sort of a bit lost in in books and Mm. and things like that. Can you tell me maybe some examples of things that have been really important to you or are important now in terms of whether they're books or... or, um, you know, podcasts or, you know, certain, whatever they are, but the types of things that you go to to get inspiration or to, to yes. fill up the bucket.
1: I'm not particularly technologically savvy, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> yet, haven't yet worked out podcasts, and I'm uh-huh. one of those people that still doesn't know how to transfer a photo onto a computer yep. from her phone. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but I... I have a range of authors that I read. So I, I read philosophy, theology, feminist theology. And I, for example, love Hannah Arendt, a Jewish oh, yeah. philosopher. Um, I love uh, Miroslav Wolf, who's a theologian. I enjoy. Who else have I been reading? read Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, Elizabeth Johnston who's a Catholic feminist theologian uh, some of the Catholic feminist theologians are absolutely awesome mm. um, and I have vast numbers of their books on my bookshelves um, I read books by Noam Chomsky Naomi oh, yeah. Klein yep. uh, so
0: it's, it's fair,
1: in, in the political with a small p but critiquing and commentary on the world i love poetry um so i look for um female authors like i'm always get her name the wrong way around um angelou mayo a black african woman who died recently um Denise Levitov, who writes beautiful religious poetry. Um, I've recently been looking at um, Clive James's poetry. He's dying oh, yeah. it's, and it's, it's, he's it's, written some beautiful, exquisite poetry. Yeah. I've been dipping into Thomas Merton um, and just read his um, autobiography, Seven Story Mountain, and I'm going to go and look at his poetry. Um And so I try and balance writers that are women along with men, but I do, I will read philosophy, political with a small p, critiquing theology, feminist theology, and then I probably supplement that on the margins with um, feminist literature. So... I've managed to wade through some of Jermaine Greer, but I find her indigestible.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but modern-day feminist literature, much more mainstream feminist literature, and then I track, in the business sense, everything from um, servant leadership... i try to remember his name. Um, but there's a raft of leadership... HR management, um, mentoring stuff that sits in the vulnerable leadership, um, different way of thinking about leadership. I hate and despise and cannot bear the quick fix, 10 easy lessons, leadership in 10 minutes, management, you know, that stuff that says, oh, for goodness sake. Because a lot
0: of that stuff seems to me to to sort of... Think that leadership is about um, certain routines,
1: yes, and,
0: and, and not about relationships or, or who who am I as a yes, leader.
1: Yes, so, and so you get people. I get young people turning up saying, "I'm a leader. Can I have a job?" And you go, "Hmm, hmm, yeah, okay. that's a really interesting concept." Or, "I'm I'm the best manager since sliced bread," and you go, "Hmm, <laughs> all right, let's have a look and see what that looks like." and what do you think about yourself? Do you know who you are? (laughs) Do you know who you are? So I I get really cranky. And the other stuff I struggle with, um, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but I do, is people like Richard Dawkins and that genre of atheistic literature. So I read it to see what the arguments are and then put it down, get really cranky and go out for a walk on the beach and kick the water and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go, goodness me! <laughs> and
0: and then try say,
1: and try and tone my sermons down to be something that's <laughs> that will keep my parishioners in their seats.
0: But it sounds as though you really do have a, a very strong sort of learner inside you. you know, yes, you're constantly wanting to new find new ideas or, or new challenges. Yeah, and
1: I, I, and I think that's because my father when we, I grew up in the Pacific, no television. Um, and radio, if you were lucky, but mostly um, my father read and my father did classics at Cambridge
0: mm.
1: and our conversations at the dinner table were awesome. Mm. Um, and I was at university, you know, at 18 to 24 um, when there was no computers around. Yeah. So my, my, my basic behaviour around learning is books yeah. So I don't uh, I I get DVDs, but I don't manage to get to the cinema. I don't do. I did manage an iView thing about a month ago, but that's <laughs> the first time I've looked at iView. So I will get better. Good. But yes, my 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 stuff is the written word.
0: So we're coming to, towards the end of this conversation. And I'm just just wondering whether there's anything in particular that you're involved in at the moment that you'd love to just mention or.
1: Um, Yes, a couple of things. I am involved with and support the work of the Refugee Council of Australia and I'm involved in um, the National Churches of Australia Refugee Task Force, which brings together all the different faiths to work in that space from a strong advocacy perspective and I'm just so delighted that the Christian Church... Is active in that space, and the other thing that I'm doing is um, this is the second year. In April, I'm going to back to Rome. Um, The Anglican Centre in Rome is sponsoring myself and an Anglican clergywoman in Rome. There are only two Anglican clergy women working in Rome. Not surprising. Um, but Dana and I co convene a leadership course for Anglican clergy women.
0: Okay.
1: And the centre sponsors us and um, we have a ball. So last year, probably um, we had 30 women attending, 17 different countries, and it went for six days, it scared me witless. I'm not sure I did a very good job, but it was breathtaking, <laughs> and I'm going back again to do it again with Dana. Um, the hi- one of the highlights for me last year was um, at um, to take communion with all the participants. Dana and I did communion, did communion um, at the monastery of Saint Gregory. Just near the colosseum where the abbot kindly allowed us to use his altar and it's the it's the church which has the chair where pope gregory in 595 or 596 sent augustine to england
0: ah
1: okay wow. and there was an incredible moment where we're all sitting, looking at this chair, and wondering if that is the actual marble chair that these awesome people sat in and did this awesome thing. And then the next moment was a photo moment for us. So all the clergy women piled their handbags onto this chair while they went and had their photograph. <laughs> but from a s from a uh, from a perspective of thinking about the church into the future. That is one of the things and the conversations that I'm engaged in. What is the church going to look like, particularly for women in the church? And what is being a priest and being a laywoman in the church going to look like as an Anglican, in the Anglican Communion, in the Catholic Church, in the Baptist Church, wherever? How do women and what does the church look like for priests into
0: the future? Mm.
1: And that, I think, is a really exciting conversation to be having.
0: Yeah. And one last thing, just yes. in terms of, um, you know, I've asked lots of questions, but maybe there was something in your mind that you were wishing I'd asked a particular question and I didn't ask it. So is there anything else that you want to say?
1: No, there isn't. I think it's been, <laughs> a, it's been a wonderful conversation and you've been very indulgent. Thank you, Francis. No, thank you. It's and
0: been and brilliant. it's been really clear to me as part of this conversation that, um, you know, you, you really are at a point where, you know, purpose for you is is something that is important, is clear mm. and, and really influences who you are now and mm. how you live your life. And, um, yeah, thank you for the time to sort of let me ask those questions and to sort of be able to to, to have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Living With Purpose interview series. There are show notes for each episode that you can get on the www.livingwithpurposeinterviews.com website. You can also connect with Francis on Twitter at underscore Francis Lynch, on LinkedIn, or on email at FrancisLynch.me at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode as a podcast, then subscribe on your player and tell your friends. Thanks and join us again soon.